This is Tending Seeds, and I'm your host, Sarah, talking to you about homesteading, gardening, and herbalism. Hi, friends. It has been a few months since an episode came out, and that is because we have been on quite the adventure. I am really excited to share the details with you soon in a standalone episode, but the short version for today is that I'm not in Tennessee anymore. So back in May, we went out to Colorado to start looking for land, and in August, we closed on 41 acres of beautiful property out in western Colorado. That then set off a huge rush of events as we pretty much worked nonstop to get our homestead in Tennessee ready to put on the market and also started preparing to move west. In September, we made our first work trip out to the property here to start working on infrastructure because we purchased raw land with nothing on it. And then in mid-October, we moved out here and we have been living in the mountains full-time ever since. We are completely off-grid, except for satellite internet, which is how I'm able to talk to you. So far, we are loving life out here. We have definitely had (laughs) plenty of challenges, um, along with unexpected expenses that have popped up along the way, but I am still happier than I've been in a very long time. This has been a huge dream for both my partner and I, one that we each had individually before we even met each other, and then getting to work on it together as a couple has been amazing. I kind of really still can't quite believe that we've actually made this happen. So please forgive my temporary absence, but rest assured I have a lot of new homesteading adventures to share with you now, and I'm going to be diving into those with some solo episodes soon, and also... I think hopefully dragging my partner on to share his perspective in a few episodes as well. In the meantime, I still have a few interviews that I recorded before leaving Tennessee, and I'm really excited to share those with you as well. Today's episode was actually recorded in May, a week before we went out to look for land in Colorado. So this feels like a fitting way to step back into podcasting here. I chatted with fellow farmer Kathleen Moss of Foxbriar Farms, and our topic of discussion was focused on land. We'll talk about a variety of ways that people can acquire land for farming and some of the pros and cons of each. We also get into our own connections to pieces of land where we've each farmed and our thoughts on things like stewardship and community building. I really loved having this conversation with Kathleen, and I hope that pieces of it will resonate with you as well, no matter where you might be in your own life journey of owning or renting space in the world. Enjoy. Okay, so I have Kathleen Moss here today on the podcast, and she is another fellow farmer who I've gotten to know via Instagram over the years. She farms in Easton, Maryland, and I am so excited to have her here today to talk about some topics related to land as a farmer, but I like to let people introduce themselves in their own words. So Kathleen, welcome to the show, and if you would just tell us a little bit about yourself and the awesome stuff you're doing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm Kathleen Moss and I operate a, uh, you know, it's like basically kind of like a market garden, I would say on, um, about a half an acre of land that I lease 
so I live in Easton and I commute about 20 minutes um, out to the farmland. I grow all kinds of mixed vegetables, like all the standards, like baby greens, roots, tomatoes, peppers, eggplant in the summer, just as wide a variety as I can muster on sort of a smaller scale. And I grow for um, a farmer's market. I do the farmer's market in Lewis, Delaware. And then I do, which is about an hour away. And then I do um, a CSA here in town um, where I live for 30 people. So yeah, that's basically the layout of the, of the business. That is a lot. That's a full-time job. And we'll of <laughs> course have links to your Instagram and things in the show notes, but you take amazing photos. I love um, your photos every week of what you're bringing to market. They're always so beautiful. And just in the years that I've known you, just like your photography game has, has really stepped up and just improved so much. So I always love seeing what you're posting every week today. So we wanted to just kind of have not even so much of an interview as kind of a conversation between both of us as people who have gone through the process of looking for and finding land to grow on. And maybe some of the trials and tribulations that come with that. I know getting land is usually one of the biggest potential stumbling blocks for people that are interested in farming or market gardening or any sort of agricultural activity. And for good reason that that's a stumbling block. You know, we're seeing pretty wild things happening with land prices these days. And I don't think that trend is going anywhere, <laughs> right? So no, this is a yeah. big, this is a big concern. And then I think there's also sort of the back and forth of, you can move away from town and be more rural and perhaps find land more readily available that way. But then, like you mentioned, commuting, you know, needing to get to your customers, getting to markets and things like that. So there's always sort of like this trade-off. So how long have you been gardening? And when you first started gardening, what was the situation for how you got started in terms of finding land for yourself? So I have been working in small farms. Um, I think the first, the first small farm job I got was in 2006. And so I worked on a number of different farms between 2006 and 2015, you know, all sorts of uh, different sizes, like three acre farms, 10 acre farms, 25 acre farms, all of which were owned by the people who were farming them. And so when I got to the point in my career where I decided it was time for me to start doing my own thing. My vision was very much, all right, so I'm going to try and start my own thing just in my backyard. It was like a rental house, but we had like a pretty flexible landlord who was like, you know, yeah, sure. Do whatever you want in the backyard. And so we had about a third of an acre that we were able to have like in market cultivation at that location. And so my vision at that point was, all right, we're going to do this for five years. I'm going to grow the business. I'm going to get good numbers that I can take to the bank. I'm going to, you know, get a loan from farm credit and I'm going to buy a farm for myself. Like, you know, I had the five-year plan. Right. And I very much felt like that was really the only way to grow a farming business, right? Because that is what had been modeled for me. But sort of halfway in, in, in the process of that plan, um, at year three, our landlord came to us and said that the co-owner of the property was going into bankruptcy and they would have to sell the property. So we would have to leave. And this was a 
huge blow to just my, my vision of how I wanted the future of my farm to unfold. And I didn't, I didn't know what we were going to do next. I felt like, I felt like maybe we could somehow try and muster the money to like get a loan to buy something. And so that was, that was going to be our next step. But when we sort of got out into the realities of what the cost of land is and how, how leveraged we would have to be to make that kind of a purchase, it just kind of felt untenable. And I felt like that was not a secure like way for me to move forward. So from there, we ended up moving to Easton, Maryland, which was about an hour from where we'd been living before. We did end up buying a house in town. Like we're like literally surrounded by houses, not at all what I had been envisioning for myself, but it just kind of like, it was like the right place, right time, right price. We could do it. We could have a place to live. Um, And then once I was there, I started looking for land options to lease again. And I was lucky enough to find this situation with my landowners now. So it's a 25 acre field that was bought by a native plant nursery. And they were basically just like, this is way more land than we need for our operation. So are there any other sort of like righteous things that we could, you know, just fill some of the space on so we don't have to mow it and maintain it. So there was um, like a, a land use website here in Maryland that's just called Maryland Farm Link. Um, and I'm sure a lot of other states probably have similar sorts of networks. And I had put a post on there just looking for land. I got, I, I had a number of people actually contact me, but none of them actually kind of fit the bill of what I was looking for, except for this one. And I just feel so fortunate because this piece of property that I ended up on, you know, the the landowners are just on that we're on the same wavelength and we're out there working side by side this land. Like we're invested in maintaining and, you know, helping this like ecosystem of the land kind of thrive out there, which I think is such a special and unique situation to have. And the, the other big thing. And the, so the reason that like other properties don't work out usually is because there's no infrastructure there. There's a lot of people. um, It's like, it tends to be older people who have inherited farmland and they just have been leasing it out to like corn and soy growers for years. And they think to themselves, well, you know, maybe there's like a better or like more beautiful way that we could be using this land. And so they're attracted to the idea of like, oh, here's a young farmer who wants to use it, but there's no water and no electricity, right? Because it's just been row cropped and there's no uh, motivation for them either to invest in that kind of infrastructure. And it's hard for me to want to put out, you know, $25,000 on lease land for that kind of infrastructure. So that I think is a huge barrier for land access. But the great thing about this situation was they were in the process of putting in that infrastructure for themselves. And so then I could just piggyback on that. So like they literally just like laid, they were like, all right, we're laying our own pipes for water. We can lay water pipes for you too. So it's been just like a really, I think, positive and mutually beneficial working relationship 
And I think for me too, to share the responsibility of tending the land in community has been this really unexpected gift. And again, it was not something that I had envisioned for myself, but now that I'm in it, I feel like I don't want to do it any other way. That's amazing. I mean, what a story, what a journey too, but it sounds like you really landed in the best possible situation. If you're going to still be renting land, because I think there's always that concern. And and like you mentioned about infrastructure where you need these things to be able to do what you need to do and, and grow what you need to grow. But the idea of the potential risk of investing all that money into infrastructure. And even, even if you have a lease or a contract or feel like you have a really good scenario or situation set up with folks, life happens. Like you said, this co-owner of that first property going into bankruptcy, I'm you know, that wasn't planned and you can't, you can't assume that everything is going to work out. So even if someone agrees to give you a 10 year lease or something on a piece of property, things happen, things crop up, and then you've put all this money into building infrastructure or even just you and I are both no-till farmers. So the work that it takes, the energy and labor it takes to really build up soil in a good way where you're working with your ecosystem and then to have to leave that. I know that for me personally has been one of the hardest things about leaving land that I've worked previously. It was just knowing how much of my own energy I had put into that land and, and connecting with it. So it sounds like you've gotten into a really good situation because I would just imagine it would be really worrying to go, am I going to get burned again here? And through, you know, there was no malice in your prior situation, right? That, you know, we can't control things like bankruptcy and, and things like that happening, but just wondering like, what if this happens again? And then you're having to like go restart again somewhere else. So can I ask like, what sort of legal setup do you have in terms of like any sort of lease or contract, or do you feel pretty secure in, in your future on this land? Yeah. Yeah. So we do have things like written out in a lease, which is also something that like, didn't really, like, I didn't have that in my prior situation. So that was also part of, you know, like we didn't have an agreement about say like other than verbal, just like how I was going to use the land. Um, So I do have, we do have sort of like a written out contract. So, so that in combination just with like the general goodwill, but But yeah, like you do, you can't help, but, you know, sometimes I just think about a future where maybe I I would have to leave this land and, you know, it does bring up this like sense of mourning or loss. And, you know, like I say, like, I don't, I don't foresee that, but you can never really escape that, that feeling of like, like there's a little just touch of instability in there. You know, but I also think we have to recognize that ownership contains instability as well, that we're, we're able to um, sort of sweep under the rug, maybe a little bit more easily, but um, with, with any situation, yeah, things happen and, you know, you can, you can lose it. Or if you say are trying to operate a, um, a farm business, if you over leverage yourself, I mean, that's not, that's not going to work out either. And you're going to have to give up that land at some point. So it's a tough thing to navigate for sure. And I would say, I, I think I struggled as well with, you know, what are the right investments to make in, in the land, like physically. So, you know, the labor, uh, and cost of soil amendments and like, and working the soil and in this no-till way, which is sort of labor intensive. But I think 
what I came to with that is that if it's really about the soil, my future doesn't matter in, in, in this way, right? Like that, that even if, if I personally leave this land, that the mark of that work will remain and will be benefiting just countless creatures and, um, and, and, you know, the plants that will someday come in and, and overtake that land. So, so that I think focusing on the value of that is what has allowed me to go ahead and like spend the money and spend the time and not worry about it, you know? Yeah. And the reality is too, like you do see a return like pretty quickly though, too, like, you know, just in terms of like the quality of your beats or whatever, like, you know, you are going to actually see that return come pretty quickly. Oh, definitely. That, that return does come very quickly from one season to the next, or even mid season when you're succession planting things and just seeing the differences from, like you mentioned, beets or lettuces and things like that. And, but I think it's a really beautiful perspective that you shared about understanding that the soil is going to be here long after you and I are gone, even if we stayed on this land for the rest of our lives. Right. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about, even if it might be temporary, even if we're leasing land, even if we have this feeling of maybe an uncertain future with it, that it's still important to work with that land in the right way um, and come at it from the right vantage point. And so I think that's a really good perspective to have. And it makes me feel a little bit better about (laughs) some of the land that I've left. (laughs) So my own gardening started in kind of a similar way to yours, where Initially, I was living in town, a very suburban house, and just one year decided, okay, we're going to turn the backyard into just, I think it was about 24 by six or four by eight raised beds. Going to start trying to do the market gardening thing. This was previous to me even getting into herbalism really and started doing that. And then very quickly was like, okay, like this is, this is not really where I want to be long-term. Like living in suburbia was never my goal the person I was partnered with at the time that was their house prior to us getting into our relationship. And so I knew long-term where I wanted to end up was not going to be in town anywhere, but then looking for land and trying to figure out like what is affordable. And and I think when, you know, when you think about being a farmer, gardener, homesteader, any of those things, you have this idea that you're going to buy a piece of property. You're going to both live on that piece of property and grow on that piece of property as well. And so you get into this idea of like, well, what's the minimum viable acreage? But mm-hmm. then you realize that in terms yes. of actually having a garden, you know, like these folks that where you are now, this native plant sanctuary, they had 25 acres and realized very quickly, that's a lot of land to maintain and take care of. Most market gardeners are running on half an acre or less, and they're doing just fine, uh, using really intensive growing practices that end up being less labor for them because, you know, you can spread those plants out all you want and you're just making room for having to do a lot more weeding. Right. So mm-hmm. <laughs> getting, <laughs> working smarter, not harder, and often means working in a smaller space. And so I think that's good news for people that are interested in getting into this lifestyle that you don't need as much property as you probably think you do. And especially at first. And so I ended up from that little house in suburbia, found 13 acres outside of town, which the majority of that was wooded. Only about three acres of it was, was open land at that point. And that worked really well for me because I had gotten into herbalism at that point. And so I was very interested not only in growing a garden for us, you know, in terms of homesteading and trying to just grow more and more of our own food, but I was really interested in like the woodland medicinal herbs that needed, you know, you're looking at like six, seven, even more years before you're 
harvesting from any of those plants. And so I was really interested in that. So having a lot of wooded acreage that I didn't have to maintain or do a lot to or amend the soil with and things like that was really nice, um, especially at the get-go, not having to like pay for a lot of inputs for like 13 acres of land. But even then we started really small. I think my first year I had a 40 by 40 garden. And then the next Mm -hmm. year I added another 40 by 40 section. And then the third year was going to from 80 by 40. Then I think I was going to triple it that next year. I was really starting to like get my feet under me and figure out what I was doing (laughs) finally. So, but yeah, the amount of work and labor that went into just building up that soil, doing like green manure, green mulching, bringing in outside compost when I could afford to, setting up large compost areas and, you know, hauling food scraps from anyone and everyone that would give them to me. It was pretty intense. It was a lot of work. And, you know, I had the mindset at that time that we were going to be on that property for quite, quite a while. And so planting and thinking about things, doing permaculture, planting a food forest, really thinking about planting things for five, 10, 15 years down the line, it was hard. So that relationship dissolved, unfortunately, last year. And financially, with the way the property market and values have gone, there was no way that either of us could have bought the other person out, though at that point, neither of us would have wanted to stay either. So for me and like my end goal of what I envisioned for myself in terms of farming and homesteading, I've always wanted to live far more remotely, um, even off grid. But when you're in a relationship, sometimes that means compromise. And Mm -hmm. so my partner Mm -hmm. at the time didn't want that. And so we ended up closer to town, uh, not off grid, but then, you know, when that relationship ends, you go, okay, so now I'm remaking my life. I'm going to have to start somewhere new. What is that going to look like? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to swing for the fences then like, let's, let's go for all of it for what I've been really wanting and looking for. It was really hard to leave that land. I think in some ways I honestly, mourned leaving that land more than I did the relationship just because that, that process of mourning happened gradually over a much greater span of time versus just the day you drive off the land and know you're never coming back there again. Yeah. That was, yeah, it was really difficult. You know, for me and it, it took me like, honestly, like three years to realize this, that, you know, I kept, I kept feeling this sadness about the loss of the land that mm-hmm. I experienced. And let me tell you, like, it was not great land. It was not a great house. Like it, it was, it was kind of a mess. Like it, it was not my dream, the, that space. But what I realized was that what I was mourning was my dream for the future. Mm -hmm. What I was mourning was the loss. This, I had built this narrative of like, okay, so I'm going to do this. And then this is going to lead me to this. And so I, I became untethered from that, that dream, that sense of myself that was associated with how I envision my future unfolding. And it made me feel really lost for, for a long time. Like, like I said, it took me, it took me yeah, probably like three years. And, you know, I think once I, once I realized like, oh, like that is what I am missing and what I'm, I'm sad about just being able to name that really helped me to kind of get over it. And yeah, just sort of like, I guess, sort of leaning into like the the way that I envision that future, like that doesn't, that's not essential. What's, What's essential is that I have, I found a way to keep doing the work that's what really matters. You know, so long as I'm doing the work, like that is what grounds me. 
And the other thing that I did that I found really helpful was I, you know, I took a day and I just stream of consciousness wrote down everything that made me feel sad or regret or mourning, right? Like everything that I missed about that property or Mm. about that dream. And I would often like repeat the same thing, like over and over again, like on that list. And then, you know, I burned it and I let it go. And like, I kid you not, like that was a turning point that day for me. I spent some time saying goodbye to that land for sure. Like in the time and I had no free time whatsoever. And so this seemed very imprudent (laughs) for me, but I definitely like had times where I would just go walk through those woods and just Mm -hmm. little spots that had really become sort of my spots or where I knew I had planted patches of different endangered herbs that I know it's very unlikely that the folks who bought that property from me will ever even find or look at or know what they are but that's okay. And I really had to get to the point where that was okay because I wasn't planting them for anyone. You know, my idea of stewarding land and those at-risk herbs was it's actually better that they're never found, right? That they'll be there forever and no one's going to find them. Probably no one is going to see them and be interested in them and and think to harvest them and, and pull them up, or at least I hope not. And so kind of going back to what you were talking about, about the work you did to enrich the soil and knowing that it's fine. It's fine. If no one, if no other human ever benefits from that, if no one ever plants a garden in that same spot, that's okay. There's still plenty of other things that are going to benefit from that there. I like what you said about mourning the land, because I definitely realized at one point where I was just kind of having like these little mini crying jags and breakdowns, like going, saying goodbye to like hazelnut patches that I'd planted and things like that. And I was like, wow, like I've really forged a lot of connections here that I'm losing in a way. But like you said, it's really about, but can you continue to do the work? I think that's something we're both doing in in different ways and different locations now, but like, we're still getting to do that work and also doing it better. You know, I definitely learned a lot of lessons that I chronicled through starting this podcast and things where I made a lot of mistakes and have learned a lot of good lessons. And now I'm here on land that also is going to be temporary because like I said, I'm, I'm swinging for the fences. So I'm, I'm actually going to Colorado next week to hopefully look at some property and, and maybe find my future off-grid permanent forever home. And so, but right now I'm on land where I've restarted gardens and I'm mm-hmm. putting that sweat equity back into that land as well, even though I know this isn't going to be my my forever place. And that's okay. It's a different mindset though. I think knowing that going in, so like I'm not planting perennial herbs, you know, that I know I'll never get to harvest, uh, for instance. So, but it changes, I think it changes the attitude. How has that been for you? Like where you are now, like in your mind, are you hoping that this is it, this will be the last place that you're growing and this is a permanent relationship or do you hope to someday, you know, you mentioned that it's a 20 minute commute. I know that's its own like kind of logistical thing that we have to navigate. So are you, is there still a part of you, a part of you maybe dreaming that, you know, someday you might buy land outside of town with a house and the gardens combined, or do you like having that separation? Yeah. You know, that's such a good question. And I don't, I feel like I don't have a totally firm answer except for, for now, this is it, you know, like for right now. And I feel like in my life, I don't, I just honestly don't have a whole lot of bandwidth to like think too far outside of that. You know, it's like, I also have two small kids. And so I would say that 
for the foreseeable future, right? Like I'm absolutely happy with the situation that I'm in. And I, you know, I think the landowners are, you know, sort of mutual with that. So I'm, I'm not actively seeking to change that situation. So, but yeah, like two, it's, I was there for two years. And then I think in my, at the end of my second season, I planted asparagus, Mm. right. (laughs) Which was like, which was like, like, it's like getting married, (laughs) you know, like that's a (laughs) long-term proposition right there. I mean, for instance, I am not planting asparagus here. I thought about it. All my friends don't do it (laughs) posting their early spring harvest. And I'm like, it's so good. It tastes still. And I'm like, Nope, not allowed. Like, and there are some things I'm growing that are in pots. They'll never go on the ground here and that's okay. But yeah. yeah, So you made the commitment you have. So I made the commitment. I put a ring on it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. You know, it's like with a spit, cause it's like, it's even after you plant it, like I can get little harvest, but it's still like neck, I think three years. Right. And so you can get your like real harvest for market. Yeah. And the more Um, patient you are, if you don't harvest those first yeah. couple of years, it pays off. So it's that delayed gratification, but it's hard mm-hmm. because you see those little shoots come up in spring and you know, they would be so delicious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, if, if that gives you some sort of like symbolic frame for how I'm feeling <laughs> about the land, you know, but I think actually one of the things that I love about you and that is really powerful for me is you have such a great capacity for dreaming and for planning. Like I, and, and I, I still feel so burned, I think like by the loss of that dream that there's a degree to which like, I won't, I'm not like allowing myself to like think too far ahead in, in a sense, because like, I don't want to get hurt again. That makes sense. And And, and yeah, thank you for that, by the way, (laughs) but no, but you seem unflappable in that. Yeah. I am definitely very (laughs) privately flappable, I will say. Yeah. That. <laughs> but gotcha. I, I'm someone who just very much when things hit the fan, I just go, okay, like let's, I'm like really good in the crisis and, and okay, well, let's figure it out. Like let's problem solve. Let's figure out the next thing. And I feel very resilient, I guess would be a word maybe mm-hmm. for it. Um, and a lot of times that doesn't always come from great prior experiences. It's more of a, just a growth response, I think. But I think in the end, it, it keeps me moving towards just wherever I want to be ultimately. And, and, you know, I definitely flappable <laughs> though, I will say, but in very small spurts, like I'll kind of go, I have like a three day max where I'm like, okay, that was terrible. You can like wallow for three days and then it's time to like regroup and figure out the next thing, you know? Right. Um, Yeah. Like, it seems like you have kind of a process, right. Of like, you you kind of push through it right to, yeah. To get to the next, to the next part. Yeah. 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 But, but yeah. And it really like, like really seeing you and how at least like outwardly you kind of present your response to your situation, um, it's like creating space in me to, to think about the future, you know, um, in a little bit more, more concrete way, you know, but I also think, you know, I'm still, I've, I've honestly really rethought the whole idea of the 10 acres with the house and the pond and like, you know, three acres, you know, like the whole vision, right. That we set up of like, this is what it means to like have a small farm 
Um, like this is what it looks like. I, I don't, I think it's good that my attachment to that vision has been upended. Mm -hmm. Um, and that has been a real gift. I think mine as as well. Um, in some ways where I'm still looking for that. Like I'm still looking to get a large, as large a piece of land as I can swing financially, hopefully, but I'm viewing that now after having a few years of growing under my belt, I'm viewing that now more as uh, stewardship for that land. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, there's no part of me that thinks I'm going to be growing five acres of medicinal herbs at any point. And I had to kind of really adjust my own idea of like scale and what that meant for my business to be able to keep growing in a way that was aligned with my own values of doing like no till working by hand, minimal machinery and implements and things like that to, well, what does that really look like? Like, how can I possibly scale that and going, yeah, there's no way for me to have it to be growing like five acres of herbs, unless I'm bringing in some serious machinery, not only for the growing and cultivating, but then for like the end, you know, processing, drying and sifting of all those herbs as well. And I was like, that's not at all in alignment with the vision I had for myself. And so I've really kind of had to make some adjustments Uh, as well to like, what does this look like for me long-term? And I'm like, no, I really want to be growing. Like we said, like in that much more like smaller space and scale, but growing more intense intensively and with like just better growing practices. And, and yes, I think that's really helped push me. And like, one of the things I love about watching you on social media is just seeing like what you're doing with the land you have, where you're not going out and like getting additional land every year, but you're adding things all the time, like adding the asparagus, increasing like you know, what it is you're offering the variety balancing, like doing both like the CSA and the market and like growing for those customers. And I think it's just really inspiring. Like you can see over time, like refining your techniques, right? Like gaining that knowledge and kind of skilling up in terms of what you're doing. And, And I think that's really beautiful to watch. And I think that's one of the things I love about being able to stay on the same piece of land is because when you're in that, like, like you said, not having that capacity to really think about or look to the future very much. Like those first couple of years where you're focused on like building the infrastructure, building up your soil, you know, there's not really room for much, much else. Like that's a full-time job in and of itself, you know, and then you like, you have small kids and everything else. And I hope that maybe for you, as the years go by, that some of that room kind of creeps back in for you, just as you're like continuing to like refine your processes. Yeah. And I think, I think something else too, that I, I'm kind of getting to a point in my life where I, I need to be thinking not just about, you know, so like, how do I want to actualize my dreams or, you know, whatever, like how I think I feel more and more compelled to think about how, how do I like support the community? Mm -hmm. Right. So you know, that's a large reason why I started doing the CSA. You know, I had, I was commuting, I'm like bringing my vegetables to a market that's over an hour away, um, which is just totally like a profit motive. Like, I just know I can, I can sell a lot of vegetables to people who have the money to spend a lot of money on vegetables. Like, you know, but I was like, I need to find a way to also be supporting like my actual local community, which is why I started doing the CSA, but it just has me more directed in that mindset of, you know, how, how do I use my skills, my knowledge to, to really support the community and not just like maybe what my vision of like, of the business is in the future, if that makes sense. But I think, and I think the whole, what struck me about what you were talking about earlier about 
the way that your vision of what how you're going to use the land has changed, right? I think people who want to grow, I think what we need to ask is, you know, what is it that we want to accomplish, right? Like through our land use. And from whatever that answer is, then figure out, okay, so like what is the best best way to achieve that goal? So for you with the land stewardship, that totally makes sense. And like, I love that. I love that vision. And, you know, it seems like you're moving in that direction towards ownership to accomplish that goal. But I think for a lot of commercial farmers, we just assume that land ownership is the way to do it, but it's really just because that's the way that we've seen it done. Right. And it's not necessarily going to, you know, like if your goal is to run a profitable farm business, land ownership is not necessarily a good way to do that. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, look at other business models, like most, most fast food places, right. They're renting, they're not owning those buildings. You know, the, the desire to own land, I think, you know, is more in line with folks wanting to like homestead, for instance, Mm -hmm. where you're living and growing on that land at the same time. But if you're open to splitting those up, not owning the land is, is often going to be a lot more viable, especially if you can find a good, a good situation that's fairly secure where you're not worried that you're going to be tossed off every other season and have to move. And like you said, redo infrastructure, build up new soil and things like that. If you can find a good working situation where you're leasing land. And I know, you know, Curtis Stone is kind of a big like market gardener guru in that, in that space and just encouraging people to find small plots of land in even very urban, not even just suburban settings. And a lot of times you can work out interesting trades where you're not even paying money to rent, to rent land from folks, just trading them CSA shares and and things like that, which kind of goes back to what you were talking about, about being more tied in and connected with your community as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. which I think is great if we can do that. And I'm all about just like relocalizing our food system and making it smaller in as many ways as we possibly can. And maybe sort of a tangent to this, but another thing I've been thinking about is, you know, last year, in addition to that marriage dissolving and, and moving off my land, my mom in Florida also was going through breast cancer treatment. And so I was traveling a lot to be with her. And so I've been thinking about endings a lot. And so thinking about not just the idea of like, well, if I am able to purchase land someday and to and try to steward it. Like I don't have children and that's probably pretty unlikely. So like, what is going to happen when I do die? Like, and when, when my run on that land ends. And so thinking about more community-based things or uh, land trusts or uh, land back movements as well with indigenous folks. And just trying to think about like, what is that going to look like for me? You know, because I think there are sort of like two or two sides to the land ownership is like, what am I doing with the land while I'm alive? And like your situation is, is a great example of that, of saying, well, hey, these folks at this nursery had more land than they needed. Um, and it made sense to them to offer it up to other people in their community who could do positive things with it. So thinking about that, but then also, okay, they have a business entity that, you know, can continue. Mm-hmm. But like for me as an individual, if I do acquire land, what happens, you know, at the end of, at the, the end of my run, so to speak, you know, what's going to happen to that land? Because I'd love to make sure that it continues to be cared for in a good way. Yeah, totally. Oh, I love that you're, I love that you're thinking about that just at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that there, I think that the options are increasing and I think that there's more space for like imagining, you know, just right with like different conservation sorts of 
you know, programs and things like that that exist, you know, and I just, I would like to see those same entities kind of thinking too about how to just how to get more people to out onto the land, like not just how do I want to put this? So often when we think about conservation, there's sort of this dichotomy between man and nature, right? That we're, that we exist in opposition and that to save land is to keep people away from it. Conservation means we put up a, we put up a wall around it and tell people you don't get to come out here. And and we know that in fact, that's not what we should be doing. (laughs) Right. Like there's absolutely, there's like a place for that, but I think instead we need to be thinking more about what are the ways in which we can foster mutually beneficial relationships between people and land. And then, you know, I also think too, part of why we're in such a terrible place, you know, with like climate change, for example, like there's just no real like animus behind actually doing something about it, I think goes back to, there's like this fundamental separation between people and land. Like we just, if we don't understand it, if we don't love it, we're not gonna put things on the line to save it. I just want to see more sort of infrastructural support for encouraging these positive, these like symbiotic relationships, right. Between people and land. And, you know, so I guess like materially, like when I think about my situation, right. Um, Like I would love to see, I think there should be a grant program that like paid for that water that, that like these, I was so lucky that these, you know, my landowners were just able to kind of like put that infrastructure in, but like, I think they should be rewarded for that, for trying to diversify and like support this land through these like multiple agricultural uses, you know, just stuff like that. I just, I want to see more imagining in that kind of a realm. Yeah, definitely. I think we're seeing more. So like one of the very first people, uh, Shiny, who's a farmer out in Oregon, she was one of the first people I ever interviewed for the podcast. And she's part of a farmer collective. I think at the time, I don't know how many there are now, but at the time it was three different farms, uh, small farmers, you know, BIPOC uh, folks that, that kind of banded together to acquire like a small piece of land. And they're all still, you know, each of them are farming, I think maybe a quarter to half an acre a piece, but you know, being able, like you said, to like manage the infrastructure costs together. But like you said, why aren't there more grants and stuff out there for for things like this? I definitely think we should be rewarding folks that are doing these things that are more community minded that where it's not just about uplifting themselves, but they actually are trying to build something and bring other people along with them, whether that's fellow farmers getting to share land together and you know, having like these small business, small farm incubator programs, I think are really great. Um, there's some mm-hmm. pretty cool stuff happening over East of me over in like North Carolina along those lines, but there's so much variation from state to state. And it's like, yeah, I'd love to see this happening in every state, every County, every city, um, just pushing us to really just really relocalize our food supply, I think is so vital and important. And, and I think that's, that's kind of the way in to help see a bigger shift, not just with the people who, not just us who are like growing food, but the people who are eating it when they are feeling connected to an actual farmer, 
And that helps them maybe think about or care more about like, well, what happens to that land? What happens to my CSA basket? If, you know, Kathleen's farm is near water and we don't care what's going into that water. How does that impact me eventually? Um, Right. Yeah. I think we need to be thinking along those lines a lot more. I I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Can I ask you a quick, can I ask you why, like, so you want to move to Colorado, right? That's the, that's where Mm -hmm. you've been looking. So what is the, what's the appeal of the land out there? So for me, it's more landscape than anything else. Wanting more just mountains and trees, less humidity, (laughs) fewer ticks. Mm, The the ticks here in Tennessee are like out of this world. So I have, Mm -hmm. I've farmed in Florida previously where obviously like very humid. I was living in the middle of the state, but the ticks were nowhere near like they are up here. And so just every day being kind of low key terrified, you know, is this the day I'm going to end up with Lyme? Yeah. Is, is really scary. Also just this side of the Mississippi versus that side accessibility to affordable land. is just, it's a very different ball game in terms totally. of wanting to, you know, really wanting to acquire as much land as I possibly can to be able to just steward that land. It's just more viable if I move. Um, and just honestly, for me, just personally, it's just the landscape is just more what I'm looking for. I'm, I'm much happier out there. But yeah, just thinking down the lines to like land stewardship and just be able to hopefully stretch what little money I have as far as I can. It's uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Are there, what are you, what are you worried about as far as, you know, like, are you worried about water access out there? Like, it's just going to be very different. So what? Yeah, it's, it's different. So there are things I'm excited about. So I really love bioregional herbalism. So really thinking about, you know, the plants that grow here specifically Mm. in my area. So for me to move, you know, that far away, it's going to be a little daunting, but I'm mostly excited about just the chance to work with like a whole new kind of ecosystem and realm of plants that I haven't met in person before. So that's really cool to think about. I think definitely one of the bigger issues is for sure going to be water right now, looking at properties and kind of having to like think about and and weigh the, the, the pros and cons of different listings. So like, oh, here's some land that's just land with nothing on it. Um, and it's a little bit of a lower price versus here's some land where at least a well has been drilled. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, talking to realtors out there and looking at properties, I was we were told by one person that there's about a year long wait list to get a well drilled in Colorado right now because there just aren't enough people or, or enough companies with equipment doing that work uh, to get through the backlog of folks that need that have permits. So that's definitely a, a concern. And also a lot of states out there have different rules and regulations about rainwater collection, for instance. Mm. But then I just think back to, you know, this is something I'm prepared for, right? So we're no-till farmers where, you know, we've been skilling up in this area already of like, how do we work with our land? You know, I'd be really worried to move out there if I was planning to just traditional monocrop farm soybeans or something like, yeah, that seems like a real bad idea, but knowing that I'm going to go there and like really work with whatever land I end up on to build up soil in, in a good way and work with the environment as opposed to against it, it makes it feel a lot less daunting. Um, yeah. And I know like, yeah, there will definitely be challenges, but I feel pretty good about taking them on. I think. Yeah. You've been cultivating the skill of like learning how to pay attention and respond. Right. And that is going to serve you in this next chapter, right? Like wherever it takes you. Yeah, exactly. And just like that permaculture sort of idea of like observing land for a full cycle of seasons, hopefully before you start to like really make decisions about what you're going to do so that, you know, you're actually, you know, working 
with the flow of what's already happening there. And so just thinking about, you know, this is going to be a process to find land, get the land and then start observing and then adding in whatever infrastructure is needed to make it actually livable. You know, this isn't going to happen overnight and that's totally okay. Um, I think there is a part of me, I've always been a very like impatient person. Like when I have a plan, I'm like, I want to just do it now. Like I know, I know what I want to do and I want to get on it. And I think that for me was also part of what I mourned a little bit about the farm where I left, um, was knowing that like I had started planting like a food forest and, and all these perennial things that were going to feed me for decades to come, hopefully. And then there was sort of this almost, I had to really like do some work to calm myself down because I had this Mm -hmm. sort of like anxious sense of urgency where I was like, I've put three years of work into this land. Now I'm going to have to start somewhere else. I'm three years behind. Like I was going to get figs this year. Like this was going to be the year I got to eat figs (laughs) off of my land, you know? And now, Uh, you know, and now I'm just like, I'm three years behind on like fruit trees. And people are like, this feels like a very strange thing to be freaking out about. And I'm like, no, it makes a lot of sense. If you could be, it totally does. Yeah, no, it totally makes yeah a lot of sense. I mean, and asparagus, right? Like going, yeah. just like it comes back to stuff like that, where I'm like, you know, order of operations, like thinking about like getting a piece of land. If it is like, you know, I'm looking at things, some things that actually have like some partial structures on them. But like, if I just get raw land, it's like, is my priority building somewhere to live or planting fruit trees and an asparagus bed? <laughs> and honestly, depending on what day yeah. you ask me, that answer changes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You can get a tent. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. some pretty cool little, <laughs> yeah, there's great houses, tents, you know? Yeah. I mean, it'll be fine. So <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. So I want to be mindful of your time because <laughs> it is a busy time of year for, for us folks, but this has been so great just to talk to you about this. And I hope this is helpful for folks that are thinking about maybe some other ways or less conventional ways of like getting land for themselves to start growing on and and just knowing that maybe it's okay to let go of the idea that you have to have, you know, five or 10 acres and a house and they all have to be on the same land and and that there are some inventive ways out there and hopefully, you know, reach out and tap out, tap into your community and reach out to people and see what is available to you and out there for some ideas. And it sounds like you've landed yourself in a pretty good spot for hopefully the foreseeable future. So we hope that works out for you. But one thing I love to ask folks before we close is just like, can you tell us about something you're excited about for this growing season? Either, I mean, we know about the asparagus, but maybe something else <laughs> you're growing for the first time this year or just something you're really looking forward to as a, as a yeah. Group. Yeah. So, um, so actually I am working on a project that's sort of collaborative with the plant nursery in trying to just incorporate some like native plant hedgerows. Um, yeah, right. You know, I, I guess it's, it's, it's multi-purpose, right? So just including more, um, sort of like pollinator friendly, you know, potentially larger animal, physical barrier sort of situation and just enlivening the ecosystem within my little plot as much as possible. And it's also just a really nice opportunity for me to learn about these plants. Like one of the wonderful things about farming and community with these people is that we're doing such different things, but we're also sort of coming from I think similar mindsets about, you know, just sort of the the way that the world is. So I get to just see behind the veil of this, uh, you know, 
kind of like new beautiful plant world and I think the that that it's the same for them where it's just like oh my god so like that's what it's like to harvest carrots or you know whatever and for me like just getting to learn more about these plants and like their role in the ecosystem is like really such a gift um you know working with them on that has been really kind of like an exciting yeah and just a really nice like collaborative way to support the land that's amazing and well i really recommend that people even if you're not in maryland you'll wish you were so that you could <laughs> join Kathleen's CSA, but you need to check out Foxbriar Farm on Instagram. This is the the Fox love goes both ways here. Oh yeah. So yeah. Thank you so much, Kathleen. This was a great conversation and I hope it's helpful for folks as they think about their own journey to uh, finding land to grow on. So thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's been really good to talk through some, some stuff with you. <laughs> Thanks. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Again, thank you so much to Kathleen for taking the time to chat with me. If you are near her in Maryland, she just opened signups for her CSA for the 2023 season. And even if you aren't near her, I highly recommend following her on social media for the gorgeous photos that she shares. I'll have those links in the episode notes. Speaking of links... For now, you can still find me places as Fox and Elder, but there is isn't there is a name change coming around the first of the year. We'll be shifting over to the name Nordic Fox Farm to better encompass all of the awesome things my partner and I will be offering. So we'll still have plenty of herbal goodness, don't worry, but we're going to be adding lots more from our homestead in the coming months as we get underway here in our new home. And I'm so excited to share it with you all. I hope that you're staying warm wherever you are and that you were able to take some time to rest and dream before the new year is upon us all. Until next time, keep your hands dirty and your heart open.